Many of you heard earlier Pastor Jeremy talking about signing up for Man Camp. That's an event we do every year. We've been doing it most every year for several, several years. Now I can't remember how many. It takes place down on uh, Keezy Hollow, which is on the north side of the Buffalo River where it turns there north of Waynesboro. Been having a blast down there. The guy who owns that property is a good friend of mine. His name is Bill Wade. Uh, Bill lives in New Hampshire now. Uh, his wife uh, had, was offered an incredible job in New Hampshire, so they moved up there years ago. Uh, about the same time-ish that I was moving here to Houston County, but he and I have kept in touch for a long time, and they decided to keep the property on Kesey Hollow. They still vacation there a pretty good bit, and I've been going down there for a while, but Bill Wade is a guy that I feel like for the first four years I spent time hanging around him, I kept hearing him say things, and I would, I would be left with the... You did what now? I mean, you've ever had one of those people, like the more you talk to them, like the more they tell stories, you know? I remember going down the road with him one time, and he talked about, we were talking about all sorts of random things, and he's, he made a joke about, well, if things ever go south in the U.S., I've got a property in Quebec we could go to. A what? Like, who has property in Quebec? You know what I mean? Like, I, how did you get this? And he goes, well, it was when we were, you know, touring North America. What? Like, what do you mean touring North America? He said, man, one fall my wife got laid off from her job and we were living down in Florida and she got a very good severance package. And in the process of that, like we found out a month later, I was going to be laid off as well due to some big cutbacks. And I got a big severance package. And he said, I looked at my wife and said, why don't we just lock up the house and buy an RV and take off for a while? We'll pull the kids, put them in homeschool. This is the same guy, by the way, who made the comment to me one time. Well, that was before I got involved in the North Carolina legislature to lower their age for college students. The man got involved so that his 12-year-old could go to college. Like, this is the kind of guy we're talking about, okay? So I'm like, wait, so you're like, you just locked up your house. This is before this became a trendy thing. He's like, absolutely. We bought this big RV, did Christmas and New Year, and it was January 1 or January 2. We jumped in the RV, locked the doors, forwarded our mail to a P.O. box, and took off. And I said, well, where did you go? And he said, everywhere. And I said, well, did you have a plan? And he said, follow warm weather. He spent the entire like fall going across and then to the south and then up the California coast, and they would come back into the center of the country for certain things. And then by the time it got warm, they were up in Canada, which apparently he just saw a real estate sign decided to buy a piece of property in Quebec. So this is the guy we're talking about. Time and time again, I'm left with like, I can't believe like the guy I'm talking to has done these sorts of things. And you're always left like asking more questions. This morning when we look at a text that we're going to look at, I wanted to look at this passage. We're going to be in Judges chapter 7 in a minute. It's a portion of one of my favorite stories in the Bible. There's so much, such a, a, a rich environment in this, such a rich story. We're going to begin reading in verse 12, but when we get done, what I'd like to do is tell the story a little bit differently maybe. Maybe this morning we'll look at this story as one of the 300 would tell it. One of the 300. That'll make perfect sense here in just a moment. Now, before we go any further, though, I need to ask a question and take a bit of a congregational vote. Who would you, I need you all to kind of look around here for just a moment. I understand if you're on the radio this morning or at home, this won't make much sense, so just bear with me for a moment. If you are here in-house, I need you to look around and kind of take inventory of who's here. All right? Now, I want you to call out the person that you think is the most animated person. Who's someone in the room who is very animated when you think of them? Ashley? You know what? I think that's an awesome one. Ashley, welcome to the sermon this morning. As a matter of fact, 
We need to get Ashley a microphone. Stephanie, this one was yours, wasn't it? Yeah, Ashley, so you can thank Amanda. She has helped you, all right? I'm going to come all the way to the back. I think I may have just ended a friendship. Uh, so Ashley, here's the good news. Everything you're going to say will be on the screen, and all you have to do is read it. Okay? So you'll get to read. You can read, right? Okay, well, I, I believe Jared can help you if nothing else. Or Braylon, she may be more animated. That's exactly right. So what we're going to do here in a moment, I want to read this passage. But then as we talk about the passage, the way we're going to operate is we're going to have a conversation. Ashley is going to hear me. I'm going to kind of be the Bill Wade in the story, if you will. Hear me make just a, a very kind of random off comment. I'm, I'm going to start it kind of like as an intro line. And then I'll go through the slides. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and fast forward for you just a second. We'll get past the passage, Ashley, so that you know what your first one is, okay? There you go. Keep that in your mind. That'll be your first question. All right? So we're going to go back. Now we're going to read Judges chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 12. If you're in house with us this morning, I invite you to stand for the reading of the Word before we get to hear a conversation between one in the army of the 300 and somebody just curious. Judges chapter 7, beginning in verse 12. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley, bread, it came rolling, tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp and beginning of the, at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. You may be seated. My opening line to this conversation between one who is a part of the 300 and someone who might just be standing around answering questions would start as this. Yeah, but that was before we defeated the Midianites and the Amalekites in that big massacre. You did what? So let's, let's also note that that microphone is very hot. We'll step outside for just a moment. Oh, Jeremy, I forgot Jeremy can control that, so we'll bring it down just a little bit. I do like the, uh, the, the level and the enthusiasm. Matter of fact, I think you should give her a hand. That's a well done intro into this. Exactly right. So yeah... Me and 299 people, we carried three weapons with us. Clay pots, torches, and trumpets. 
I can, I can remember hearing the sound of Gideon when he gave the cry for us to, to break those clay pots. And like, folks, you got to imagine with me, like, I remember standing there. We, we had broken up into these groups of, of 100. And then as we spread out around the camp, there were so many down in this valley. You could stand up above on the ridgelines. And like, I remember seeing some smoldering fires, but it had gone black. They couldn't see anything. This was late, late in the night. I remember as we stood around somewhat scared, but following Gideon because, I mean, he was our leader and it seems like he knew what he was doing. And, and so we used the, the pots to kind of guard the, the, the torches and then we had a trumpet in hand and we were we all kind of surrounded and, and, and you could see all as, as we had gone into the darkness, we just knew how much time it would take for all of us to get around and start surrounding. I'll never forget the sound of the breaking of pots. Have you ever been in a restaurant before and you have a uh, uh, someone drop a dish. It was like that dish that gets dropped in the restaurant and like everybody hears it. Everybody gets quiet except for in the opposite. Like when we were standing there, it was so dark and so quiet. And then when the first clay pot smashed and then we smashed the rest of them, the camp down below us was so dark and so asleep they had no idea what was going on. They look up around them and all they see now are torches surrounding up in the hills and these and they look up, and as they see the torches in the hills, they, they start running outside, assuming that there's 300 armies around them ready to take them over, and they're showing up scared to death. I mean, they wake up in this stupor because they've been asleep, and they don't know what's going on, but they start running out, and we didn't even have to attack them. Most of them ran, and the ones who stayed fought each other. They, they fell on each other's sword as they were running around. It was an absolutely crazy thing to be able to see and to, and to watch it take place. I can remember seeing them scared to death. So yeah, we defeated the Amalekites and the Midianites with clay pots, torches, and trumpets. So many questions. How did you hear this dream in the enemy camp? So the dream, right? You remember... Like I was telling you this dream story of a, of a loaf of barley rolling down the hill. There's a little bit more backstory to that. So our, our guy Gideon, he was told by God one night to go down into the camp because it was time to overtake Midian. But he made this statement that was funny. He said, but if you're afraid, take Parah with you. And then the, the next moment, Gideon is with Parah in camp. I mean, it kind of reveals something about our leader. I know he's awesome and all, but he's also a guy who's a little bit scared. And so he, he rolls into camp down there, and, and, and no pun intended, and, and he shows up. And, and you have to imagine, like, this camp is huge. Like, we couldn't even count their camels. We had no idea how many people were there. They outnumbered locusts. It was like the sands of the seas. And, and, and so Gideon and Parah, they, they go down into the camp, and then when he gets into the outskirts of it, they're starting to listen and then there's this dream. This guy's talking to another one, and Gideon overhears him about how this, this big barley roll rolls down the hill and ends up crushing the, 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 their tents. And, and so like Gideon hears these individuals and says, like, you know, this is what's been going on, and, like, and this is what, what God is going to do. And so the dream all started with Gideon actually a little bit afraid of Parah, but yeah, I mean, he arrived in camp to hear a dream. But why were you fighting, fighting them in the first place? What started this mess? Years and years ago, we didn't do what God told us to do. We, we had been faithful for a while, but we forgot what God, really what God had told us. 
And as we forgot, we quit doing the things that God told us to do. And it's kind of embarrassing to look back and talk about us as people, but it started by us walking further away from God. And as that happened, people were overtaking us. And these Midianites were horrible people. They didn't know our God. They teamed up with the Amalekites and tons of other people. And as our, as our life kind of rolled forward, they took more liberty and more liberty. They oppressed heavier. There were years when as soon as our crops would get just about out of the ground, they would sweep down on us like locusts and they would take everything that we had. What little bit was left they would bring their livestock in to graze our grounds down to nothing. And then when they left, they not only took our grain and what we had grown, but they, they took our livestock back with them as well. Most of our people got so tired of what was going on and so scared that we fled up into the hill country. We went back up into the caves and tried to scratch out a life. It, it, was, it was wild to look back and, and, and see like where we had been. We started crying out and asking God like, Help us. Deliver us. Like, would you, would you please do something because we're starving to death and we're living in caves and, and God, just please do something. And as crazy as it sounds, 300 men in Gideon, 300 men in Gideon pulled it off. Then how and why in the world did you only have 300 men? Hey, I think it's pretty good. Y'all should give Ashley a hand, by the way. She's doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. It didn't start off as 300. It started off as 32,000. But even 32,000 men going against Midianites, Amalekites, and all of those others, I told you, more than locusts, more than grains in the sand, 32,000 still didn't stand a chance. But God told Gideon, if you're going to win and it's going to be because of me, not because of you, then you have too many. I'm afraid with your 32,000, you'll think you're going to win. And so... I was in the original 32,000, and I remember when Gideon showed up and he said, anybody who's afraid, you can go home. If you're scared, go home. I watched as 22,000 of my friends left, went right back home. There, there were still 10,000 of us left. I, I remember as Gideon looked around again and he came back and he said, God told him that if I, if I win even with 10,000, you're still going to think that you were delivered by your own hands and that you did this on your own. And so instead of 10,000, I think there's going to be one more test. He sent us down for something that seems super weird and kind of pointless. And, and I didn't even get the point of the task, but of the 10,000 of us that went down to, to drink water of all things, he told us to go down and get something to drink. And as we went down, different people drink water differently. Uh, some go face first down to the ground, down to the water, and they, they kind of pull up with their lips and, and they, they drink from the water. And then there would be others that you would kind of describe them as like clapping their hands together and picking up and, and drinking as a dog might, you know, just pulling up to their face, but also looking around. And there were 9,700 men who put their faces down to the water and 300 who pulled water up to their faces, and I was one of the 300. I can remember how weird it felt when God had used something so odd to select <clears throat> the 300 of us. I can remember when He sent the other 9,700 people away and how it was just this small, small group of us. I mean, it was... 300 of us that weren't afraid and we drank water a little bit differently than everyone else. 
So I guess technically it was 301. So yeah, we defeated the Amalekites, the 300 of us with our leader Gideon. So how about this Gideon guy? What did he do to earn this place of leadership? He's the guy who destroyed his father's Asherah poles and burned them up in a, in a way of, of offering sacrifices back to God. He's the guy that God had told him earlier, you, you should go and start destroying the Asherah poles and the places that are used to, to burn to other people or to other gods. And so he told him to, to, to go and cut down the Asherah poles and to take a, a, an animal and sacrifice it and cut the Asherah poles up in such a way that you could use those for the firewood and tear down the other altars that were to the bells and the other gods and do that. But, you know, the more I think about it, remember how Gideon, I told you, went to, with Parah down because he was afraid? You know, when he, when, he, when he cut down the Asherah poles, he did it at night. The guy, he wouldn't do it during the daytime. Because he knew everybody would be watching. And, and don't get me wrong, he's a great leader and all, but like he did it at night and, and he went down and cut the Asherah poles down so that when everybody woke up the next morning, they would find these things having been done. I mean, it's still, it was this great, great thing that, that took place. And it was kind of a sign of who our new leader was and like that God was using him. And that was a, a pretty impressive thing to see like what he had done, right? But where did he come from? He came from nowhere. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if I know the town that he came from. He was a little dude. And he was a part of a people that nobody really... They were just tiny. Tiny people. Not everybody knew where they were from or, or much about them. They're just small tribe, small guy. You know, there's a story about him that when God selected him, he was in a wine press threshing wheat. Back then, people were so scared of the Midianites and the Amalekites. This is back during the part I told you about when he was crying out, when they were crying out to God. They would hide and they would try to hide what little bit of grain they could get together so that when the Amalekites came, they wouldn't take everything and thus starve to death. Gideon's life, our, our leader's life, really began with him hiding out, scared to death of what might happen and who might find him. He started out in a wine press threshing wheat so that the Midianites might not find him. But he tells this story of how an angel came and sat under a tree and that the angel spoke to him. And when the angel spoke to him, the angel said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I remember hearing Gideon talk about how you can't feel like a mighty warrior when you're hiding in a wine press threshing wheat, scared to death of what other things might happen. And yet the angel called to him and said that he was that the Lord was with him, that he was a mighty warrior. So if I'm, if I'm going to go back and say, who was this guy that ended up with this story of defeating the Amalekites and the Midianites and, and, and other, whatever, those other eastern people that outnumbered the, the locusts and were camels as many as the sands of the seas. Like, If I'm to say who was that guy who led us into all of that, that legend in the faith, just a scared runt hiding out trying to keep from being found from people he was scared of. Yeah. I'm not sure this morning if you've heard the story of the 300 or heard the story of Gideon from the perspective of the 300, 
But this morning as you look at the story, there's one of the, the aspects of this. Folks, it's one of my most favorite stories. I appreciate Miss Ashley for being here and being a part of, of helping me tell the story. It was a little bit of a different challenge for us this morning to operate and tell this, maybe seeing it a bit differently. But when you look back at the story of Gideon, Gideon there's some things about this story that speak to the core of who we are. I need to remind you of something that we used to talk about more often, and, and for some reason we've, we've let it kind of fall to the wayside. You've not heard me talk down these lines very much. Saints are not born. Saints are grown. Legends in the faith are not born legends in the faith. They are grown into legends in the faith. If you looked at this story in the chronological order, you see we started at the very end and kind of went backwards talking about what built this individual. You're talking about a man who began scared to death, threshing wheat in a wine press, hiding out from those that he was afraid of, not wanting to be caught, not wanting to be seen. And yet God sees him in his insecurities and calls out to him and calls him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. There's nothing about this guy that looks like Mighty Warrior, you know? Nothing about him. He's a runt from a small people. Don't even know like really much about them. They're just the, the, the little group, the little man from the little group. And that's the way he's projected. And you would think in his story, you would think in his story that as he grows on, he has this moment and he becomes this like fearless individual. I told you a second ago that saints are not born, they are made. Do you see the growth taking place in this guy? Like, look back at this story again for just a moment and think about Gideon as he goes from a scared man threshing wheat and then God calls him to a task. And the first task is to cut down the Asherah poles. And scared to death to do it, he decides, oh, I'm going to go along with what God says, but I'm going to do it at night. You're like, I'm going to make sure nobody sees me. I don't want to deal with the confrontation. I'll do what God says, but I'm going to try to do it subvertly so that it doesn't get noticed. You know, maybe that's how I'll operate. And you keep following this individual. Folks, all the way to the end of his story, one of the last things that you read is that before he goes in and destroys the Midianites, before that great routing takes place and he becomes this great hero, before all that takes place, God says to him, it's, the, it's, it's time. Did you all put that together? It's in the same night. He says to them, says to Gideon, it's time to go down and to make this happen. It's time to finally get rid of the Midianites. I'm going to deliver you. And he says, but if you're afraid, take Parah with you. And what does Gideon do? Folks, he never arrived at some place in this story where all of a sudden he's some fearless leader. We're like, he's got it all figured out and everything is put together. I need you as the church this morning to hear, saints are not born, they are made. They're not born, they're made. They're made by small steps and trusting God and trusting a little bit further. If there's something that I, I have people ask questions to me about when it comes to being a person of faith and moving forward in the faith, they talk about like, how do I know how to trust the Holy Spirit? How do I know how to listen to the Holy Spirit? I can tell you this, it is not in leaps and bounds. It is in small steps and increments. It is, it is entrusting God with the next few steps of life or with the next step of life. It is entrusting God in the small things. And even though you move forward, I need you to hear in these stories, even the legends in faith move forward with a bit of fear, maybe a bit of intrepidation, maybe a bit of, of, a, a bit of, of concern for self even. What are the ramifications? What are the ripple effects of what's going to happen? And you sit here this morning and you may not have ever put yourself in these shoes, but I can guarantee you everyone in this room has more in common with Gideon than you may have thought when you first hear his story. You have more in common with Gideon 
Because as we move forward in our faith, there are times that we see things that we're, we have nervousness in us about us, that we're, we're concerned about how to step out in faith and there are ramifications of what happens. Some of us might say something like, I'm afraid I might say the wrong thing. I'm scared of what I, how, how I might say be misheard or misinterpreted. I'm afraid that, that people may not, may not you know, I, I don't want to do anything and, you know, and, and, and say something that may send somebody, I just want to be nice. You know, like, I just, I just want to be nice to people. I heard someone speak not long ago, and I thought it was such a, such a challenging, and a, but a thought-provoking. He said, you know, Jesus is not nice. I thought that was interesting. We, we talk about Jesus. Jesus was not nice. He was kind. He was kind. But He was not nice. No one, no one will be in hell thanking you in heaven for having been nice to them. Be kind, okay? Be kind. Be generous to people. But nice doesn't mean that you stay away from calling them into a relationship with God. Understand the difference there. Like, understand that there's a, there's a point when our fears may be keeping somebody else from hearing the gospel or hearing a challenge of, of God, that God wants to speak through you. And, and we, much like Gideon, find ourselves in places of fear and we're, we're unwilling to step past those. I wonder sometimes who is waiting on us to step past our, our places of fear so that they can see the deliverance of God in their own life. Some of you work in places and you hear people say things like, you know, I'm afraid to, I'm, I'm supposed to keep religion out of the workplace. You know, you got human resources departments. Hey, let me tell you, there are folks who, who go to church here who are awesome people who work in human resources departments, okay? Uh, I don't, don't want to, you know, throw baby out with bathwater in that, in that conversation, but I, I want to tell you this. When you get to the pearly gates, HR is not who you answer to. Understand? Okay? I, it's not. When you get to the pearly gates, St. Peter does not work for human resources. He works for the Lord. Okay? Very, very different. And so in, in, your, in your places of business sometimes, I'm not saying you have to go in and, you know, pull the pin, throw the grenade type approach and just go wide. But I am saying this. Stop hiding behind an excuse of we're told not to be religious or to talk about religion in our, in our professions. It's exactly what you are called to do is to be the light of Christ in the world around you. And like Gideon sometimes, we approach those things with a bit of fear and it is fear that keeps us from being the people that God's called us to be. You say things like, my friends don't want to be preached at. I'm not strong in my faith. I don't understand the Bible well enough. I'm not sure what words to put together or how to say this. And I need you this morning to hear the words. The same words that spoke to Gideon years and years ago. Whether you believe it or not, you need to hear the Lord saying to you, the Lord is with you, O mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. To go back into your homes, to go back into your schools, to go back into your professions, to go back into life to be the light of Christ and, and navigate and know that working through our fears and anxieties is a part of the faith. But folks, there's not many stories, if any stories in the Bible, of those pillars, of those people that we look back at that were amazing. I mean, look back at the story of Gideon. Look back at, at Moses. Just continue. Abraham. Go, go back through the stories of people who had their doubts of what God would do and hear that time and time again, God has been using people like me and you with our with our with our concerns and our fears, and He's been changing the world with those people ever since. One last time, you need to hear this. The Lord is with you, O mighty warrior.
God, we come before You this morning looking back at stories that have been told, stories of what You have done, and how You have empowered people with their own levels of anxieties and concerns and fears and uncertainties. God, as a matter of fact, as we look back at the Bible, it seems to be the staple of what You do. So this morning, as we live in a world, a world that very seriously needs to hear the Gospel preached and lived out in front of them, would You help us from our wine presses threshing wheat? Would You help us to hear Your words calling us out to be the people of God You've called us to be? Begin to grow us now in the faith so that we know You better and that we serve You better and so that we can point other people in Your direction as well. We love You and we thank You. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen. 